the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you again for joining me today. And I want to encourage you, as usual, to visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. We have lots of things there for you. And also to download the podcast. I just found out that I have 19,000 downloads. So I so appreciate that because it really helps me to know that I have a lot of people out there who are striving to be the best version of themselves and how that is going to help the world around us. So I wanted to kind of take off from that, what we did, and really look at the idea of helping those that we love. And we all have them, and sometimes we're actually the one that needs the help. But I want to think about and start this whole entire show with the parable that is the Good Samaritan. And I know you've heard it and you've heard different versions of it, but I just want to read this story because it is quite a beautiful story. And so this is when Jesus is talking to the 72, and he says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, I'm sure you know what that feels like. Our world does not seem to be getting better. It does not seem to be getting kinder or even more honest. So I want you to listen to this. He says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Now, isn't this important that he's already explaining the concept of codependency, right? So he's saying, 
I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Say peace to this house. And if someone promotes it there, that's great. But if not, the peace that you are giving to them will return back to you. So when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. So how many of us, you know, maybe I'm talking to those of you that are foodies, right? You might have a tendency to get too focused on the food. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town will wipe off our feet as a warning to you. So be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So what is that really saying to us? It's saying that God has already dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he's saying, why have we not learned from this? Excuse me. And so he wants us to really understand that it's not that we are there to judge. It is that we are there to tell the truth. And so it's our honor, our, it's necessary for us to say, this is not going to go well for you. And I'm saying this out of love. I want you to be okay. So how do we say this when it's our family members and we're wanting them to be different or do differently or listen to what we have to say? So he says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me, which is even a bigger problem. That means you're rejecting God. So the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Well, and he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Okay, well, you know, when I read that, I think, I haven't seen that yet in my life. (laughs) So I struggle with that verse. But when I really started to think about it, I thought, you know, maybe I'm taking it too literally. So when God says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Okay, so do any of you in your offices have snakes and scorpions as employees? So this is where he says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he's saying, when you confront that, that doesn't mean that you are better than them. It means that God is saying, your names are written in heaven. Thank you for doing that. So let's go to verse 21. It says, at that time, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself to. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So this is important for you to recognize. Anything that you think you've heard from God, that Christ has told you, 
you take it right back to God and say, I need confirmation. Now, that doesn't mean that he's always going to give it to you in a way that, that, that gives you that, you know, encouragement for that moment. But I've had things that I've said, God, I am giving this to you. I think I'm supposed to do this, and I'm hoping you're going to confirm it. And sometimes he hasn't confirmed it, I don't know, sometimes 15 years later. And so this is what we're wanting to think about. The parable of the Good Samaritan, he walked all of this out. So he says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and all that is within you. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have, you have answered cor- correctly, said Jesus. Do this and you will live. Now, we want to remind ourselves that, yes, doing these things helps us have a better life. But mostly what he's talking about is you do these things, you will go to heaven. You know the name of Jesus, you will be going to heaven. So in reply, Jesus said, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to the inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, and said, Look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have because of this man. So this is when Jesus says, so which, which of the three of you do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? One expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So let's think about this. The parable of the Good Samaritan. He did not judge the person that he was helping. He didn't try to educate the person as to how to not fall down again or how to not fall into disrepute or any of these things. He simply helped him, sent him on his way. So many times when God is asking us to help those that he loves, we complicate it sometimes. And maybe even our emotions get involved and then we get upset and we get hurt and we feel disrespected or whatever that may be. So I'm wanting you to simplify your life. I want you to say to yourself, you know, kindness is free. I can be kind to anyone. I can be kind to someone that I hate, right? Even though I'm not supposed to hate, many times we have that emotion. So I can be kind to the one that I despise. See, it doesn't mean that in my kindness or in my love that I'm validating their behaviors and saying it's okay for you to do it. I'm not necessarily there to teach them. What I want to do is show them a different lifestyle. So I'm not going to judge how they got there, why they're there, how often they go there, right? I'm going to simply be saying, I think you need some help, and I can help you in this moment. That doesn't mean we're going to be best friends. It doesn't mean that he owes me or she owes me something. It means that I gave kindness, and kindness is free. 
And it always comes back and gives us more. So I want you to be thinking about this in the world that we're in, where we have people that are just not managing themselves well. They're interfering in things. They're, they're even, you know, testing every bone in our body as to how to handle someone that is acting out all over the place. And I say to clients, you know, the worst thing is a child in an adult body. They can be quite dangerous. So we have to be careful that we have good boundaries and we don't take everything so personally. So if I'm kind to someone and they just blow me off, okay, I'm glad that I did my side of the street well. Maybe it'll come back to their remembrance, but maybe it won't. But that really isn't my problem. So what we want to think about, that Good Samaritan story, this is a template for how we all can live, even in 2023. It's still very valid. So what we want to look at, literally, what are the five things that the Samaritan did that worked? So join me in the next segment as we talk more about the Good Samaritan. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today, as always. I really appreciate your participation in all that we put out there for you and really taking advantage of the website, taking advantage of all the podcasts that we have now, and to really be able to integrate them into your life so that you can walk it out. And so we're talking about this idea of the Good Samaritan. And, you know, the majority of us do have compassionate hearts, and we do want to help people. And so this story is such a great way to explain how to not get too involved and how to not judge if someone's in any kind of need. So we stopped off in in this place where we were talking about this idea of the Good Samaritan and the story. And so what would the Good Samaritan do if this was a family member? Well, the relationship is going to change, right? So when it's a family member, we have the choice of either interjecting ourselves into the situation or being an observer, a compassionate witness. So sometimes being a compassionate witness is very helpful. Depending on the mood of the person, depending on how deeply they are entrenched in a problem, a lot of that we have to assess. And some of it might just be, A simple, hey, you know, I I don't know how I can help you other than I love you. And I will always love you. I'm not happy with what you've done, but I will always love you. And that can many times be enough. So you want to be able to gauge, what am I doing with this particular friend, neighbor, family member? Because what, what, what would the Good Samaritan do if it was his family? Well, he knows the relationship's going to change. So when we think about this, we recognize that there's no judgment on the Samaritan's part. And he valued the man he was helping. And he had appropriate expectations. Isn't that, isn't that so helpful? So there's no judgment. He valued them and he had appropriate expectations. See, compassion, 
What you know, think about what it feels like to feel crazy when it comes to the world, the, the mental illnesses that we have with people right now. And consider how much kindness can help that. You don't have to be a psychiatrist. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a pastor. You have to be a human, a human being. See, humans are able to love even the worst of the worst. Now, that doesn't mean I'm best friends with everybody, but I can love anyone. And this is why it's important that we practice the way Christ acts toward God's people. So first and foremost, I want you to think about the issue of boundaries. When we are getting involved in people's lives, I, I have to tell you it's always going to be messy because humans just are messy. We're a work in process all the time. We are like shapeshifters. We're one thing one day, one thing the next day. And so when we think about what family members can do and we say, hey, don't judge them, value them, have appropriate expectations. Well, how about, you know, where is God if there's a mental illness? And so this is where we get frustrated because with God we say, but you could heal this. You could fix this. Why aren't you fixing this? And usually what we need to say to ourselves is first and foremost we take a deep breath and we remind ourselves who God is. Who God is. He died on the cross. He, he's, he's taken horrible, terrible beatings. He's had his entire creation turn against him. So he knows how difficult humans can be. So when we think about this, we say, hey, what can I do? Even if I don't think it's working, I don't know, five years from now, that person may come back to you and say, you know, that thing that you said to me turned my life around. I should have told you sooner. So what we want to think about is when we are dealing with people that their lives are in disarray, that they're messy, right? Humans are very messy. What, what is the main thing we want to practice other than, you know, having our faith in God? Well, boundaries, right? I don't know about you, but if you've gotten involved in someone's life and you didn't have good boundaries, you came out of it needing healing, right? So boundaries are very important. And we've done, you know, shows on this in the past, if you want to, you know, look for those because they're very helpful. But the boundary, the simplest way to understand boundaries is that this is where I end and you begin. See, I have to know where I end. Otherwise, I get way too involved. And if I get too involved, it gets really messy. I lose any of my, you know, right-mindedness. And what happens is I start to begin to hate that person I was actually trying to help. And it might be because I had inappropriate expectations. Like I was going into it thinking I can fix this person. What you have to understand is you can't fix anybody that doesn't want to be fixed. So you have to kind of gauge that when you're working with people. Is this problem actually working for them in some odd way? Is this problem something that they like to use as a way to not have to do their own life? There's a lot of reasons why people have problems that are not solved. And so you have to be careful about how much you interject yourself, how much you know, energy you put into the situation so that you don't get compassion fatigue. Because if you get compassion fatigue, caregiver fatigue, guess what happens? We get resentful. 
we start to resent the person that we originally wanted to love on. So we have to be able to gauge where we end and that person begins. Now think about this. How educated are how educated are you when it comes to the situation that your friend or your family or the stranger or coworker is in? So, <clears throat> excuse me, if you don't have a lot of experience, then you probably just want to collect a lot of names that you can refer people to. So that's a very helpful situation. That is a very helpful solution. When you recognize the situation and you say, hey, this is what I can do for you. I have some resources that might really help you. Instead of thinking that you're the resource and have to pull it off. So really take seriously this. How educated do you need to be? Well, if you're just being a compassionate witness, all you need to be able to do is love the person. Help them if they have a question. But you still need to do your life and do your life well. Because if your life gets messed up because of how much disarray their life is in, now we have two people that need help. So we have to be very careful about that. Now, you can get some just general education. If the person has a specific issue and you're committed to them, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, a best friend, a child, then you can get some general education on different psychotropic medication, You can get education on, wow, how do I know when someone needs to be referred because this is way out of my league? What do I do if someone refuses help? Well, we have to have good boundaries and accept the fact that it's their choice. And God has to watch this happen every day, that people make choices he would rather they not make, that he had a much better solution for them, but they chose their own making. So we have to be able to have boundaries that let them do their life on their terms, whether we disagree with it or whether we think we have a perfect solution for it. So join me in the next segment as we talk more about how can we actually help the one we love. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. And we are talking about actually the Good Samaritan story and what really makes a Good Samaritan. And we talked in the last segment a little bit about boundaries. And I was saying to you that, you know, being a Good Samaritan, if you read the story of the Good Samaritan, he really understood boundaries. He didn't try to do more than what he was capable of doing. He didn't try to be something he wasn't. He didn't get his identity from how much the person was helped by him. He didn't take it with him if the person said, I don't want the help. And so this is where we can really get some some great foundational support when it comes to helping the people that we love. So I like this, um, this particular psychiatrist. His name is Dr. Harnish. And this is what he says. He says, the devil uses every weapon in his arsenal to disrupt God's plan for our lives. We should use every weapon available to come against him. I liken it to the armed forces going to fight a war, the army, the navy, the air force. I see the army as medication. It's in the trenches doing the physical battle. 
He says, as a psychiatrist, I'm a general in the Army. I direct the forces and arm the nerve endings with Zoloft, Paxil, or Seroquel. Whatever is the best weapon to assist the physical body to return to normal. And then he goes on to say that his Navy counseling was a little bit more fluid, and it performs a little differently than, than a necessary function. The Air Force is like prayer and scripture. So he calls it the Air Force, right? Because we are heirs of salvation. So when we pray and speak the word of God, we're performing airstrikes on the devil. You wouldn't go to war with only one branch of service. All three are essential. So why limit God by using only one weapon for recovery when there's more available? And so the chaplain, Anderson, he says, this is difficult, you know, this situation, because many were born again believers that had lost their faith. And so we believe God for healing, yet we trust a doctor's diagnosis and take medication. So this is very important for us as family members of having friends, co-workers, whoever it is that we work with, to recognize that people still may refuse. And we have to be willing to assess that. We have to be willing to say, hey, it's their life. I can only do my side of the street. And so it's difficult many times for born-again believers. They don't think they need medication. And what I really say to them oftentimes is, you know, if you were in a car accident and you were almost dying, would you refuse the help that you were given? And so we have to recognize that there's a humbling that happens with us as well. I either need to humble myself because the person doesn't want to receive help from me, or I humble myself <clears throat> to receive the help that I need. So this is, it's difficult. It's very difficult. We also have to take into consideration that there's a predisposition sometimes for different individuals struggling with psychiatric problems. And that is maybe they're born this way. And so when you consider this, now you're not a doctor, I'm not a doctor, I'm not trying to necessarily figure that out, but I do want to be humble enough to recognize that God is also a God that can provide the greatest medicine we have ever had since the beginning of the world. And so why would we want to resist that? We do want to take great um, um, time trying to figure out and help the person find the right medication. We don't want to just depend on a medication, but we do want to say to ourselves, why would we resist something that God could use for good? So I want you to ask yourself, how are you doing with you? How are you, how willing are you to receive help from your friends, your family, your doctor, whoever that is, your pastor? How willing are you to give it? How willing are you to take that risk and say to someone, hey, I have an idea. I see you struggling. I have an idea. And you can reject it. You can accept it. But I have an idea. And I'm wondering if you'd be interested. And so this is how we make sure that we are the safe person, not the person that's parenting them, not the person that is their boss or their lawyer, and not the person that's trying to be God to them either. So we make sure that we are safe, that we are a, what we call, a compassionate witness. And a compassionate witness is an individual that sees and wants to help, but makes sure 
that they don't over, overstep their bounds. And we see this when we, the prodigal son and the person that was wandering around and seeing the prodigal son, and he had compassion on him, and he said to him, can I help you? And he nursed back to health this poor wandering soul that needed the help, but he asked permission first, can I help you? So join me in the next segment as we continue to talk about boundaries and actually helping the people that we love. Welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. And we are talking about those people that we love and when we see them struggle. And it doesn't always have to be family. It doesn't always have to be friends. It can be the person in the grocery store that dropped everything. And we turned around and helped them. So we want to recognize that there are so many ways that we can love God's people. And to think that every human might, you know, that in any type of human might not be one of God's people is absurd. And so even if people don't know God, he still knows them. And he's so grateful when we are kind to his people. And all humans are his people. Whether they choose him or not, they came from him. So we want to really recognize that, wow, how can I actually help the one that God loves? Well, we want to make sure that we don't define people by their disorder. So if you have someone in your family or you have a friend that has actually been given a formal diagnosis, you don't want to walk around, you know, like walking on eggshells or something. And you don't want to be saying, well, is that okay because of your, you know, situation? What we want to do is we want to let them lead the way. And if they ask for help, we give them help. Now, if they ask for something that we know is not helpful, that's a no-brainer. We just simply say, hey, I don't feel comfortable doing that. That's, I don't know if that's right, so I don't feel comfortable doing it. And that's all that needs to be said. You don't need to preach to them or give them some big dissertation about why. What you want to do is you want to help the ones you love. So we don't want to define them by their disorder. And we also know that it's scary when they have to face rejection or judgment. Well, it's scary for us. If I put myself out there wanting to be a help, wanting to be kind, wanting to do whatever, support, and I'm rejected. So for either side of the street, it's a risk when we put ourselves out there. So we also want to think about that God honors weakness and, and really values honesty. So when I've made the decision to tell some people in my life about struggles that I have, I was very grateful that they didn't judge me, and they were very supportive of me. See, many of you may know, but one of the ways that I got into the psychotherapy world was that I had a very profound eating disorder in college, and I had to be hospitalized and all kinds of things. And so I really began to learn how it feels to receive, and how important it is to receive, and how grateful I was for the people in my life that were kind in their prompts. And they didn't judge me, and they let me make my own decisions, even if they were watching me make a bad one. And so it's very important that we recognize 
that we are to be compassionate witnesses. We're not their doctor. We're not their lawyer. We're not their their parents, right? <clears throat> because all of us at this age, we are probably not needing parents, or maybe we do. I'm not sure. That might be another show for me. <laughs> so I want you to think about this, that we comfort those who have troubles. We don't judge those who have troubles, and that we are a compassionate witness to their lives. That doesn't mean that in my compassion I agree with something that I know is wrong. What it means is that I don't judge them. I don't tell them all the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, right? And, and I really am very helpful in the timing. So I don't barrage them with a ton of information. I actually say, hey, I heard about this. I, I had an idea. I wonder if it would help. And so when you're thinking about loving someone, even with a mental illness, I want you to recognize that for every person in the world diagnosed with a mental disorder, there's at least one, probably more, that are trying to help, that are coping and trying to support the person in any way that they know how. So mental illness is often a family issue. Parents, siblings, spouses, extended families, right? Maybe we provide housing, care, support, emotional, financial support, sometimes to the point that we become maybe our family member's case manager, right? See, it's hard enough when the chronic illness is something that everyone recognizes, like diabetes. It's a whole other thing when the disease is a mental illness, which is ripe for misunderstanding, misinformation, and all the horribleness of a stigma. And so by helping yourself, you also help your loved one better. See, that doesn't mean that you're preaching to them. It means that you know, family members need to tighten up their own self-care because the person that's struggling with a mental illness doesn't want to be the only one that's trying to do the right thing because all the other people can do some wrong things and still have no consequence. Their body takes it. Where maybe this other person's body doesn't manage it well at all. So what I want to say to yourself is when you're helping yourself, you're helping your loved one better. Caregivers often have a hard time with this concept. So if you are a caregiver of someone you love, I want you to first and foremost be informed. So go to the library, do a Google search to learn about whatever the diagnosis your loved one has. Be judicious, however. I mean, really go to reliable sources, reliable websites like Mayo Clinic, like the National Institute of Mental Health. And I want you to really consider this, that as you do some research, Remember that mental illness falls along a continuum of severity. So this is what doctors are generally wanting to take into consideration in the beginning and all through the course of the disease. What, how severe is this? So is one's person, is a person's situation depression? Well, how how severe is the depression? Is the depression leading to suicide or is the depression meaning they have a hard time getting out of bed? and they miss a day of work. So we want to be able to look at it on a continuum. Maybe a person's depression or bipolar or even borderline personality disorder. They're quite different from person to person. So if we diagnose someone with depression and we diagnose the second one with depression, it doesn't mean their depression is the same. So we want to also be willing If you are wanting to care for someone that are struggling with these types of illnesses, you want to make sure that you have support, 
So I want you to join a supportive organization. So before you reject the idea of support groups, because you're not quite, you know, quote unquote, a joiner, or you can't, quote unquote, relate to these people, go to at least two meetings and see if the shoe fits. You might be surprised at who is there and what you get from them. See, mental illnesses and addictions touch people everywhere from all walks of life. So we have the National Alliance of Mental Health, that's NAMI, and it provides thousands of families with much-needed support. And NAMI's mission statement says, from its inception, it has been here since 1979, and I really trust this organization. It's been dedicated to improving the lives of individuals and families affected by mental illness. And so this is a really tough one. It's for people from all walks of life. And so there is a terrific website and you can go to NAMI, it's N-A-M-I, and it provides families with a lot of support. And so Al-Anon is another great one. And Al-Anon has a great tradition of fellowship and comfort. Al-Anon, Alateen, our fellowship of the relatives and friends of alcoholics who share their experience. And so this is why we want to get hope, we want to get strength in order to just solve common problems. See, there are meetings everywhere, all times of the day and the night, all around the world. Now, this is a big one, and we've talked on this show a lot when it comes to boundaries. And when it comes to any types of disease, whether it's mental, physical, whatever it might be, it's hard for us not to get lost in it and lost in that process with that person. So when we talk about keeping healthy boundaries, we're talking about boundaries that are hard to maintain when you love someone with a mental illness. However, it's crucial. You, you don't know what you're necessarily giving to them. They may tell you, they may not. But what you want to do is just do your side of the street. And when we talk about boundaries, we talk about, hey, did you cross over to the other side of the street and get involved in that? Well, you need to walk back across the street get on your own side, take care of your own issues, and then if invited to the other side of the street, then you may have something to be able to offer. So I want you to think about this, that you take time for yourself, that you nurture yourself, exercising, keeping involved in activities that bring you pleasure, doing the stuff that your normal life is about. So getting some respite, taking a trip, keeping up connections with your friends, and, you know, these actions are not self-indulgent. They're very prescriptive for good health and resiliency. It's like food, water, and air. And what happens is the person that you are being supportive to will want to mimic your life. And that's one of the best things that we could do. Think about, you know, we, at my office, at my Phoenix office, there's a big, huge lake and there's all these geese that live on that side of the street where the lake is. But every now and then, they walk their family across the street <laughs> to my office. And we get to see this mom in the front or dad in the front. I don't know. And then all these little goslings. And then the other parent on the, on the other side of this. And so it's fascinating to watch this family of geese cross the street and how they do this for one another. In fact... These geese, they'll just stand in the street. They do not care if you have to stop your car. It's fascinating to think about this, th these geese families, 
and how well they take care of their, their little goslings. So I want you to think about this. Are you taking care of yourself? Because that's the example that you're giving to your kids or to the person that you are helping. And this is how these geese learn. They follow their parents across the street. They trust their parents taking them across the street. So if you have someone in your life <clears throat> that you care for deeply and you find yourself over-preoccupied, I wonder if they took their medicine today. Oh, my gosh, did they drink today? Did they go to sleep? Did they, did they not have sex? Oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And we have to say to ourselves, wait a minute. We're a compassionate witness. That's what we're doing. We pray for them. We make sure that our lives are working so that we do have the strength to help them and care for them and love them when they fall. And we make sure that we are taking care of themselves as a way to encourage them to do the same. So for many of us, you know, you may have to find your own self a caregiver because it may be that it's so taxing to your heart and your mind, to your body, that you may need to get some outside support and they may also have new information that might help the one that you love. And so make sure that if you want to be that good Samaritan, that that good Samaritan was very able to walk away from the man that he helped. He didn't try to find his family. He didn't give him a whole bunch of money. He simply patched him up and went on his way. And so this is important for us to really recognize where those boundaries are, where I end, where you begin. And so when we think about this, we don't need to worry so much about whether the person was born this way, whether it was a situation in their life that created it. That's the doctor's problem. What we do is we be the people that care. We care for those people that we love, that are compromised, that are wounded, that are disheveled, that are struggling. So thank you so much for joining today, and God bless you as you love those in your life. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.